there. My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. What are the chances for your first ever shark encounter with both a poor beagle and a thresher of catching and releasing one of each reliably estimated to be way above the current British record, and in the case of the poor beagle, even bigger than the old tackle world record, and both from a small trailed boat? Not only that, Sandwiched between those two momentous events, two further outings for blue sharks, one of which produced possibly the first ever UK blue on a fly, and the other, the largest UK hole of blue sharks in a single day from a trail boat. Linking up with me today is Hampshire angler Wayne Conban, who along with shark fanatic Graham Pullen, pulled off that remarkable feat. So let's ask that very question. What are the chances, and how does it feel? Well, to be fair, I I do feel very lucky. I don't ever underestimate what part luck plays in fishing. At the end of the day, what you do as an angler is you do make your own luck to a certain extent. You have to be in the right places at the right times, obviously using the right baits and techniques. But there again, whatever happens, that fish has to go past and take your bait. So I do realise... I absolutely realise how lucky I've been to have hooked into a, a very sizable pool beagle for my first shark, and again, a big thresher shark for my first thresher. So, uh, yeah, luck is something I'll take. I mean, I'm not at all superstitious in any way, shape or form. I really am not. I'll mention bananas and rabbits. They're from down in Cornwall, and bananas are from abroad. I've got no problem with luck. Superstition, I should say, but luck is another thing, and uh, I'll take every bit of luck I can get. Thanks. As Grand Slams go, that has to be right up there with the best. That said, each of the four events would still be a marvellous achievement in its own right. So let's look more closely at each of the three species in turn, starting with your first ever shark, the one that sent ripples right throughout both the angling and the non-angling world with extensive national TV news and press coverage both for yourself and Graham Pullen, from whose boat he was fishing in a seat I may well have been sat in, but unfortunately for me, though fortunately for you, I couldn't make it. Okay, yeah, the big pool we were down at Cornwall. Obviously, I'd known Graham for a while prior to that, and we've been discussing the sharks off and on. Graham, of course, is well known as a sharking man. I think it's his favourite type of fishing, the truth be told. And he certainly was the right person, from my perspective, to have um, had the fortune to meet, that's for sure, because he knew exactly what was there down at Boscastle where we went. He absolutely knew there was every opportunity of picking up a big shark. They're not common, that's for sure. You can go there later in the year and pick up pack fish, but the early season big fish aren't common, and you can only fish for them really on certain tides. It's just not viable to go there unless the tides are absolutely right. And, of course, the weather. The weather is vitally important there. You've got no protection. You're on the Atlantic-facing sort of coastline. Anything that whips a northerly, westerly, you're going to be facing some enormous swells there. So everything's got to be right, and as it happened... I'd been checking the forecasts for that area myself and sort of keeping Graham abreast of it. And uh, I, I do believe Phil's misfortune was my good fortune because I, I think Phil may have been in the chair for that trip but couldn't make it due to certain circumstances. So, so yeah, I jumped in and uh, I'm very glad I did, actually. We headed down there the previous day. It's about a five-hour trip from where we are, so uh, we towed the boat down there. Good trip, uneventful. Sorted out our lodgings. We were up in the morning, everything looking good, conditions were fine. Where we launched at Boss Castle, I will say, for anyone thinking about doing the same, go down and have a look first. It is not a very pleasant slip to launch a boat from. How they can call it a slip is uh, 
you'd probably get one of the trace descriptions out, I'd say, because um, it's really in awful condition. It appears they spent a lot of money down at Boss Castle after the floods. don't think any of it went on that slip, to be fair. There's some really, really big holes in it, as I've mentioned. So it's not the nicest launch. The swells, it's an S-shaped little harbour, and the swells fly down there. You can be dragged 30 feet back, and then that swell will push you 30 feet back up the slipway. So potentially, you could be smashing your boat up and down on rocks, on concrete, on all sorts. You can get dragged out. Even something light or relatively light like a 17-foot Wilson Flyer, which is what we went in, Graham's boat, high sea drifter, you can still get pulled around and thrown around. So it's not a nice launch now, I have to say that, but you get it at the right time and it is doable. So um, out we went, started the drift, plenty of rubby out. It's the usual formula, Graham's rainbow trout, which is the most oiliest fish I've ever seen by a considerable margin. I believe they feed them on... Um, pellets which are derived from sea fish so high in oil and man does it give out a slick it, it looks like the Exxon Valdez it really does it's amazing it gives off a huge huge line but despite this on this particular day we didn't get any sort of hookups or any runs or any takes and uh, by now by sort of uh, mid-afternoon drifted right on to Graham's X marks the spot if you like and he actually asked if I'd like to anchor up and do a bit of bottom fishing we've been picking up pollock and a few mackerel uh, on the drift but at the anchor, we were over some, some reefy ground. So, yeah, absolutely. I knew we were on the right spot. I had no problems with being anchored there. And we still had the chum slit going out. We still had the baits out. So, yeah, we had some good fun on the bull hus. I had about five PBs in a row, which is uh, was quite nice. And Graham mentioned um, maybe if we if I wanted, we could up anchor and carry on drifting. But I don't know what it was. I just fancied where we were. And I thought, well, if this is the real spot where he's picked up some big fish in the past, they must frequent that spot. So I, I wasn't particularly worried about staying there. And um, we were just chatting away like you do. We stopped bottom fishing, by the way, and we just had the shark baits out. We are just chatting away. And um, certain things in life, they're almost sort of imprinted on your mind. And th this is one of them for me. We were just chatting away, and all of a sudden... 30-odd feet behind the boat was a huge crashing, splashing, and this big poor beagle on the surface going absolutely crazy. And uh, I had noticed that some gulls had lifted off the slick just prior to that, and obviously I've been picking Graham's brains throughout the day. It was my first shark trip. Prior to that, my biggest fish was a 49-pound tote. So uh, I was soon to find out what it's like to have something a little bit more substantial at the end of the line. But yeah, the fish was in a real frenzy. I think that we tipped over the last of the chum a couple of minutes prior to it, who knows, it might have been just smashing around stuff on the surface there, it might have been attacking gars in the slick, I, I really don't know, but it, it was certainly charged up, and that is fair to say. And then it sort of disappeared out of sight, so uh, Graham quickly moved over to one of the far rods and just started reeling it in very, very slowly. And as he was reeling it in, he just turned and gave me a little look, and I knew instinctively he felt a tap. And he put the rod back in the holder and it, it tore off, absolutely tore off. And um, he didn't mess about. It was already agreed prior to this that Graham was going to set the hook because he said they can be very finicky and um, he basically set the hook and then passed the rod to me. And um, yeah, I held on then for dear life, if I'm honest. I mean, people say, how does it feel? Well, it, I think playing any fish is relatively the same principle. You just keep enough pressure on to tire it without pulling the hook or um, snapping your gear, if you like. So uh, yeah, I just settled down to what was a huge grind, a war of attrition, if you like. And it nearly done me, I had to say. Graham didn't say, put the harness on, Wayne. He said it's going to make life a lot easier. But the same feeling I had with this thresher shark. If you've seen the shark, 
and you know how big it is, and you realise if you put that harness on, you're connected straight through then to the shark itself. And um, when you've seen how big a shark is prior to that, I was thinking, well, you know, if something locked up or if the line wrapped around the, the rod tip, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, potentially I'm, I'm put, getting pulled in here. And it's something you do have to be aware of. I mean, it's, there's been instances with um, fishermen abroad, experienced fishermen, who have taken a rap on a trace where they thought a shark was played out and, and been pulled overboard and drowned. So um, I was a little wary of it. I'm not going to deny it. But eventually I had to relent, put the harness on, and uh, it takes so much pressure off your arms. I mean, my forearms were burning. My back was... I can't tell you what my back was doing. Spasms and all sorts. But that gave me, again, enough leverage to start putting pressure on this fish because it was a TLD25 reel we were using. And um, they're fabulous reels. I'm not going to knock them. They are brilliant reels. But when you have fish of this size and they're, they, the fight sort of um, has ended, if you like, it's just a dead weight you're trying to pull up. It's hard. It's really hard. You almost have to sort of um, do a wicked tuna type thing and, and, and pull the line onto the reel or, or thumb the spool if you can just to get that extra pressure on it. But in the end, we got it to the side of the boat. Graham knows exactly what he's doing. We managed to get some footage of the shark. I think people have to, again, realise it's just me and Graham on the boat. You know, we're trying to play these fish and we're trying to drive the boat and film at the same time. And it's not an easy thing. I'm just happy to have got some footage. What I will say, it's not like being there. It, it genuinely isn't. If anybody wants to find out, I mean, go out and do the same thing. It's, it's The fish are out there if you put the effort in. Experience it for yourself. Film it for yourself if you want. And uh, you'll get an idea then, if you manage to hook into something large, the difference between being there and seeing it, and then having the footage on afterwards. But um, we got decent footage, you know. It, I think it gives an idea of the, the fish's size, which was nice, because it, it truly was an immense fish. I'm steering clear of, of, of weights. I've not got the experience to do that. Graham's the man who's caught big sharks of all different types all around the world, so I look to him to give me an estimate on the weight. He knows I've asked him to be honest with me about weights. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to take his word for it. I, I was there, I've felt these fish, I've seen these fish in the flesh, and uh, they were beasts. They really were big, big fish. So, very pleased to have had the good fortune, and absolutely am aware of the luck of, you know, my first fish being something sizable. Now, you might not see yourself in the position to put a representative weight on that fish, but something needed to be said, because that's all that other people can relate to. As you've said, Graham took that particular task on his shoulders, and you know as well as I do just what a hornet's nest that stirred up. Yeah, I mean, the weight issue is, is, is a thorny one, because at the end of the day, people have got a point when they say, well, you haven't weighed it. Well, no, no, of course we haven't weighed it. To do that requires killing the fish, taking it back in, hanging it up somewhere. Well, I'm sorry, those days have gone, and... Yeah, it's not nice looking at flack. I mean, we've had all sorts of things... Um, <laughs> thrown our way, ranging from that's £150 to it, camera trickery. I mean, I don't know who they think we are. I really don't. We're not Steven Spielberg, so I can assure you that. We're just trying to show what can be caught in a small boat and trying to show some footage to people, you know. If they want to watch it, great. If they appreciate it, nice. There are always people in angling. There are always people in life, in fact. But there are always people in angling that want to question, that want to knock. They're in the minority, to be fair, which is a nice thing. Unfortunately, a lot of them tend to be the ones that shout the loudest. Well, that's fine. What I would say to them is, if you think you can do better, go out, target the fish, catch them, do your own thing. But what I can categorically state is being there is not like seeing it afterwards on footage. And it's not. 
I mean, these fish are in the water as well. It's not a photograph taken at the nose of a fish laying on the deck with the angler in the, in the background holding the tail up. That's got to give a very good impression of a fish. With us, we're in the foreground, the fish is down in the background, we're trying to film it. Prior to that, £49 was my um, biggest shark prior to the Paul Beagles. But what I can do, I mean, I'm not, not daft, I can look over the side of the boat, I can see the immense core that the Paul Beagle had. And um, in my mind's eye, I can say to myself, would four blue sharks <laughs> lay together, fit into this shark? And yeah, yeah, they, it would have done. There's no two ways about that. So, so when Graham's sat in 500, 550, I'm not going to doubt him. I really am not. This this is an immense fish I was looking down at. And um, it's one of those things that we're always going to have it. If you can't bring a fish in and weigh it, you're always going to have people doubting size-wise and, and things like that. Well, if it means a fish swimming around at the end of the day, yeah, my shoulders are broad enough. Let people chip away, that's absolutely fine. At the end of the day, what I would say, if they want to go and catch a bigger one and film it, my hat's off to them. I'd like to see it. I mean, that's what fishing's all about. We all aspire to catch good fish. I think there's a few people that would do better to um, go out and do a bit more fishing and a little less uh, talking and, and tapping on keyboards. But the remarks and comments, particularly to the TV and internet coverage, weren't all negative. Uh, oh no, no, absolutely not. There were some very experienced fishermen who were film fish themselves who looked at the film and said they had no problems with the weight estimations, which is nice. With most of the comments were positive. Well, I say most by a long way. The comments were positive, which is very nice. Most people are genuine. Most people are decent. I think they like to see other people do well. I know I do. I don't resent anyone. I, I can not like someone, but I can still appreciate the fish they've caught. So uh, it's just human nature. You can't do anything about it. It's the way of things. The fishing world is rife for it. We all know fishermen's tales and the like. So yeah, there's going to be um, dissenters, but the, no, the majority of the comments were good. A lot of people did actually appreciate the fact that it was a big fish in a small boat. And uh, at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to champion. We're trying to say, look, it's achievable. It, it can be done. The next shark outing for yourself, Graham and the Wilson Flyer, was at Falmouth fishing for blue sharks. Again, this would be a first for you. So how did that one come about and ultimately turn out? Graham knows the area well. He's fished there many, many times. He has relatives down there. We popped in to see uh, Frank Vinicom. His brother's well known for being a, a, a top Mako skipper. He certainly put one, at least one average angler I know on, onto a very good fish. That shows the man's calibre. His brother Frank, very, very pleasant man. Didn't have to, but he gave us some absolutely sound advice about where to go and, and target the blues. And his advice was spot on. Not a secret. We mentioned it, shared it. He just basically said 40 fathom mark, gave us a little direction, a few little pointers. The chum does the rest. I do pinch myself sometimes because this was a, another cracking day. We hooked into a lot of sharks and we saw some spectacular things and I managed to get the biggest of the day, which is a fish over 100 pounds. So for my first blues trip, I managed to get a ton up fish, which um, I was more than happy catching the smaller ones prior to that. We had fish sort of probably 35 to sort of 60. They're very good. They give you great sport, the blues. They're much more obliging. They tend to, you tend to get more of them around the boat. You can pick them out, actually. The water clarity was like something off the blue planet. It really was something else. And we could see fish way, way below the boat. I think Graham's expression was they were swarming, which is a pretty good expression, actually, because they, they were everywhere. But yeah, we picked a few out, a few individual fish out that were bigger than others later in the day and almost just sort of threw a bait to them. And uh, Graham had a, a very good idea of catching one on a trout reservoir rod. Now, I'm no freshwater fisherman. This was a fairly big fish we hooked. 
or Graham hooked, I should say, on a what appeared to be a basic sort of freshwater trout rod, and it put a serious bend in it. The reel never had no breaking. It's one of those ones you break by your hand, so he burned his hand on a few of the initial runs. Um, we've got it on film. It, it was excellent, and it genuinely took a, a marabou feather lure, I believe. Graham cast it, twitched it in front of it, and it, it, it nailed it, absolutely nailed it. When they're in that slick, you see them, they come up to the chum bucket, and then they circle around the boat. What they've done is they've followed that centrail right up to its strongest point, then they're looking for that meal. They're charged up, they want something. In this particular uh, blue, he saw the fly, he felt it was something that he wanted, and, and yeah, he nailed it. And uh, great to watch, Graham did really well to get the fish in. Eventually I tailed it, we got the fish in, and uh, we released it. And the thing is, every single shark that we've caught has swam away. We've tagged a lot of them, which is good for research. The thing in my mind, which I really like about this shark fishing lark, is uh, you get to see the fish swim away at the end. Those two trips were in 2012. It's now 2013, and in the course of just over a year, you've completed all the stuff we've already mentioned. But this year, you went about things in reverse order, starting with Falmouth and the Blues, which resulted in yourself and Graham getting 17 fish to the boat and away in a single session. Yeah, well, this year, we had another run back up to Falmouth. <laughs> Graham gave me a phone call around about 11 o'clock in the morning, on a Monday morning, and just said, can you be at mine for 12, 1? <laughs> and he lives over an hour's drive away from me, so, yeah, I think I managed to get there before 1, actually. I packed a bag, got my stuff together quick as I could, and uh, off I went, which <clears throat> I'm lucky to be able to do that. It's not everyone that can, but when the weather allows, you know, you've got to make hay while the sun shines, as it were. So, we headed down there. Another uneventful trip up, which is nice. Always nice when you trail a boat for all things to go smoothly. Accommodation was very cool. A tent <laughs> and a blow-up mattress, but that was absolutely fine. I don't mind a bit of camping. Graham crashed in his car, but we went out on the on the Wednesday, and it was a very nice day, in fact. Yeah, it was, uh, wasn't quite, I wouldn't say flat calm, but it was all but. Heading out, exactly the same spot that we went to last time. Got the slick going, probably about an hour and a half, Nothing happened. We saw a big old sunfish lazily swimming up the slick. It's a cracking area down that way in Falmouth. It really is. There's uh, there's every opportunity of seeing something very, very unusual down there, I believe. It's on the edge of that Gulf Stream, that water, and uh, who knows what comes up there. What we did see, which was extraordinarily interesting, I found, was uh, I, I happened to see this mackerel leaping clear of the water. Now, I've seen mackerel jump out of the water as you go over them with the boat, and this wasn't. This was fish being chased. They were moving quick and, and leaping clear of the water in, in like a big group. So I said to Graham, like, have a look at this. So he sort of quickly looked up. They jumped out of the water again. And on the third jump, out right behind them on their towels were two barracuda, about eight to ten pound. And we saw them clearly. There's no, no doubt what we saw. Um, nothing they could have been mistaken for. There's nothing really shape-wise they could have been mistaken for in British waters. So uh, we mentioned it. There was a few people. Again, if you can't really envisage something like that in British waters where we were... You know, I just wonder what your knowledge is on the seas and fishing, and we saw them. I would urge anyone who doesn't believe us who would like to go out and target them, go there, because they're there. A friend of mine's just come back this week, and he saw something very similar. A little bit too far, I think, for him to be absolutely convinced of what he saw. Ours weren't. Ours were clearly visible with the naked eye. They were only sort of 30 feet from the boat when they first jumped, and maybe 40 feet when the barracuda cleared. So we saw them clearly. Um, Yeah, I mean, why not? There's been... Unusual fish caught off the British coasts, not just recently, not just with global warming, for hundreds of years there's been unusual things getting washed up around our coastline, so 
yeah, we, we saw them. It was something very interesting and, uh, yeah, quite cool to see, really. I've seen airborne barracuda myself in tropical waters and I've read of several European barracuda having been caught commercially in recent times within just a few miles of the Cornish coast. So yeah, why not? It isn't out of the question. No, no, not at all. And um, we know what we saw. We're both experienced fishermen. Nothing wrong with our eyes, I can assure you that. So yeah, we know what we saw. Again, it's one of those things you get, you're going to get people wanting to belittle you. I think if you put things out there in the public, it comes back. There's a lot of good, but there's a little bit of bad comes back. Well, anyone who's got knowledge of, of fishing will know that it, it, these things do occur around the British coast. And uh, one thing, you're not going to see it sitting, again, sitting behind a keyboard. If you're out there, the more you're out, the more you like to see. And we've been fortunate that we've been out a lot. We've done some very good drifts, covering a lot of miles in the right sort of areas. But, um, yeah, going back to the day in question, uh, once the sharks found us, it was spectacular fishing. We hooked... 17 blue sharks and boated 16 of them and we really we could have fished harder than that um, there were times when we weren't really fishing we were doing a bit of filming fish free swimming around the boat graham seems to think that's uh, a lot of sharks for a small british dinghy well it seemed to be at the time it really did there was a lot of fish around we really could have filled our boots you know half as much again i, I feel we were really really fishing hard but you know it's not all about numbers i, I do like to steer clear of talks of records and things like that personally I just enjoyed the fishing, and uh, when you pulled on that many blue sharks, you don't mind a little bit of a respite now and again, or a little look around and a sandwich or a cup of tea or whatever. But yeah, they're there. They're there in good numbers this year, and that was a particularly good day. I mean, the following day, we went out. We didn't have a thing. It was a different day, mind. It was a lot rougher. Same area, but we didn't get a thing until late afternoon, when we had four sharks hooked up and boated three of them. So yeah, we were particularly lucky on that first day. We did very well, and... Uh, had a lot of very good sport. Now in years gone by, your local patch to the east of the Isle of Wight had quite a reputation for both poor beagle and thresher sharks. The current thresher record of £322 by Steve Mills was taken there back in 1982, on top of which local charter skipper Ted Legg justifiably earned himself a huge reputation for finding big threshers. Then suddenly, no more threshers. But that hasn't deterred you from going out, armed with the knowledge from both yours and Graham's earlier experiences, to give it a go anyway. Okay, yeah, the thresher. Well, I live in uh, Havant, down on the south coast. I keep my boat in Eastney and, and launch out of Langston Harbour. So, the area I'm in holds the record for the thresher sharks. Uh, Steve Mills, I think it's 323 pounds or, or something along those lines. Magnificent fish, you know, and he still holds the record, by the way. That fish was weighed, that's his record. He's got it, he deserves it. But the area was renowned for thresher sharks. I think possibly we were in the right spot in the UK for the sharks. But of course, over the years, they've been getting less and less frequent. The grounds behind the Isle of Wight, the St Catherine's grounds, I believe at one stage you could reasonably expect half a dozen sharks there in a day. Poor beagles and threshers. Uh, the poor beagles were always a little bit more prevalent than the threshers. But they are there. Also, certainly they were there, and, and I just felt that if I did the research and I asked the right people the right questions and, and filtered out certain bits and pieces, I was in with a shout of getting one. And there is a lot of work involved. I mean, mashing the chum, and the rubby, is not a nice job. If you've got high trout on a summer's day and you're sitting over it mashing it, it was a little bit like the scene from The Science of the Lambs where they did the autopsy. I, li I literally stuck a lump of Vic under my nose at one stage rather than uh, breathe the trout in, but... Uh, it's got to be done. 
So there's a lot of work involved, like manual work, just involved in the day's drifting, getting everything set up. But the research-wise, I was lucky enough to speak to Ted Legg, who's a commercial fisherman uh, locally, spoken about very well by everyone I know who knows him. So uh, Graham has had the uh, experience of fishing with him on many occasions and uh, said he's the kiddie. So luckily enough, I had two conversations with him and he was very good. He, he gave me um, vital information, which I believe was where to sort of target them. I'm not going to mention it, obviously. If people want to know, then they're going to have to do what I did, I'm afraid. And that's not me being, um, how can I put it? I'm not sort of hiding it. It's just that these are rare fish. And um, I think anyone wanting to target them, well, you know, if you do what I did, it's a lot more satisfaction, I can tell you. But yeah, Ted was very good. He gave me this area to drift, which I'd had four previous trips there. Three with friends of mine, two of them on my boat, uh, one on a friend's boat. And as is the way with shark fishing, you can very often be just be drifting with nothing occurring. Watching floats, making sure they don't cross over, trying to keep the line straight, forever adjusting the wheel so as... Um, using the engine leg to give you a little bit of control over where you're drifting. Rafts of weed come through, as they're, in, they're prone to on certain days in our area. If you get that on a line, that's just going to pop your float, and then you're going to have to bring that in, re-drift it out. None of it's easy, because the idea of the furthest bait out is the deepest bait, and they get progressively shallower as they get closer to the boat. We did have one bait straight under the boat, deep down. All the baits, by the way, were, were mackerel. Dead mackerel, barring the uh, the one under the boat, which was a, a live mackerel. Incidentally, the fresher didn't take that one. It took the furthest bait at a depth of about 70 feet, so I will give you that information. I've got to thank a couple of people. There was Rich, Rick and Jeff, who accompanied me on uh, three of those. And it's not for everyone. I mean, you've got to be in it to win it. can be slow, but, but they were great company. Very glad I didn't hook it when I went out on my own. I've got to say that. I would have had it all to do if I'd have been alone that day. But yeah, the fifth trip was the charm. We were on a slightly different ground than uh, than Ted said, purely because it was a little bit of a longer drift on the flood. So I went further west than the prior trips, just so as I could cover a little bit more ground in the right area. And I suppose similar thing to the Paul Beagle, really. It was quicker, but we were just sort of chatting away. Probably, uh, imagine an hour and a half of the drift we'd done. We were just chatting away. And... The reel right next to me just tore off. And I've never seen a line leave a reel so quickly. It's a little bit of a shame because some people will have seen the footage. Um, all the most searing runs were in that first 15 to 20 minutes. It literally melted line off the reel. Of course, it jumped clear of the water. I was looking down, so I just saw the tail end of it go back in. And I wanted to think it was a thresher. I thought I saw its tail go back in the water, as it transpires it was, but... I'm always thinking, if I'm not absolutely certain, I don't like to state it as if it's a fact. So I wasn't absolutely certain at that time. I didn't know really what else it could be. In my mind, it had to be a thresher, but until we absolutely saw it, I wasn't 100% certain. But yeah, it tore off, absolutely tore off. And I, I've pretty soon realised I'd have to fight this fish literally on uh, maximum drag for the whole time. The rod I was using was my own rod. I wanted something quite heavy. It's very heavy. But it held up well, it did, it did the job, it, it was just enough flex in it for it not to have uh, killed me rather than played the fish out really. It turned and came back towards us at one stage and um, I was just trying to get the line back on the reel. And I, I thought I'd lost it, I thought it'd gone. 
when I felt it, that tug again, once I tightened the line up, absolute relief. And uh, the final time it cleared the water was, again, a bit like the pool beagle when it crashed on the surface. That is something that will stick with me forever. To see a huge fish come clear out of the water vertically, at least six foot clear of the water, straighten up on the horizontal and then crash back in the water, and knowing that this fish was on the end of my line, probably in my wildest dreams I didn't think I'd see this in British waters, you know. And on my own boat, my own harbour, it's very satisfying, really. It truly was nice. I mean, anyone who's watched that footage will see that I'm, I'm, I'm really manic in it. Well, the adrenaline was pumping through me. I'm very passionate about my fishing. The shark fishing has really, really got me. I'm hooked on it. I've always wanted to try it. I'm getting the um, the chance to now. But yeah, we got that fish to the boat three times, and three times it just took straight off again. One time it, it had well over 300 yards of line out, and this is against the drag with the harness on, with my thumb on the spool trying to add a bit of pressure to it. You know, there's just no stopping this fish, really. So we were chasing it down, gaining line that way, and uh, the fourth time it came to the boat, I could feel something slightly different with the fight. This was after two hours, by the way, so... What you see, again, on the, on the film is a very short part of, of the whole fight. We genuinely didn't have the time to do anything else. It, it took everything of me on the rod and Graham on the wheel of the boat to play the fish, so the footage really was a bonus. What I particularly liked about the footage was the underwater shot. There's a shot where the, the fish is under the boat, and I think that gives you a better perspective of its size. I mean, it's dorsal fins touching the bottom of my boat. Anyone who wants to sort of quibble about sizes again, all I'll say is it was a big fish. Again, it was another truly truly enormous fish again graham has his view on the weight of it i'm gonna back him on it i I was there i saw it he knows what he's talking about the tail came crashing over this is what i was wary of i've actually seen um an episode of wicked tuna quite recently where one of the skippers got um twatted with the tail in the ribs and uh (laughs) proper done him proper winded him uh left a nice mark on his ribs and that fish looked about 150 pounds so I was looking at this one at the side of the boat and thinking, I don't want to get hit by that towel. And as it happened, at one stage it came crashing over between me and Graham and actually slammed on the uh, rail on the other side of the boat. I mean, my boat's got a six-foot beam, so it gives you an idea of the length of the fish's tail. Even then, at that fourth time of asking, it was by no means played out. It wasn't a you know a dead-weight fish. It still had a lot of juice in it. And to be fair, we both of the same thinking. We'd got some footage... It's a big fish alongside a Wilson. And, um, yeah, I suppose I was a little bit concerned about, you know, what if it's slammed hard against the boat or whatever. Yeah, you don't know, do you, what could occur? So I think between the two of us, we decided we could see the hook was pretty much in a bad shape. It looked like it could have come out any time. So Graham's got a nice long-handled T-bay, just basically popped that hook out, and it swam off like a torpedo. It had a lot of life in it. And great, that is what I wanted to see. At the end of the day, I fished for sport. I don't fish for trophies, I don't want to kill anything. And to see that fish again swim off, fantastic, very satisfying. You didn't mention the final estimated weight. Well, I knew it was a big fish, because I, I mean, I saw it jump before Graham had seen it, so I, I knew this was something quite substantial. Graham's estimating at sort of 450, and speaking to him since and afterwards, you know, in the hype of the moment, you say what you think fish is, well, speaking to him afterwards, he says it's 450, well, I, I would have no doubt in thinking it's 450. Incidentally, I've got uh, the float, 
that I caught the fish on and there's a photo with that float in it and that will give you an idea of the size of the fish as a bit of perspective. As I say, the underwater footage against the boat does as well. But again, people can make what they will. What can we do now? We can't do anything. We were never going to bring the fish in. I honestly believe that the same people that want to sort of uh, belittle what we've caught, they would be the first ones to complain if we'd have killed the fish and brought it in and hung it up for a wait. So you just got to expect that you can't win. But no, the response has been really, really positive again for the thresher, particularly from the people at the uh, East Knee Cruising Association where I keep my boat. They've been very supportive. Every time I've come back on the prior trips when I'd had nothing, drifting sort of 10 hours without a take, they gave me lots of um, encouragement. And the nice thing was, not one of them sort of accused me of wasting my time. They all said, we've got faith in your catching, Mum. So that was really nice, really nice. Appreciate that. And based on the level of success you've been enjoying, on the day of the thresher, I believe you also motored off to St Catherine's Deep with a big pile of rubby dubby, which you put down on the buoyed anchor overnight, hoping maybe to attract a six-gill shark to try for the following day, as a small six-gill had been taken in that area quite recently. That's right, that's right. We'd had a huge amount of heads and carcasses off these trout, which are still full of oil, but they're a little bit harder to process. Incidentally, I think the way forward of that might be a little... Uh, twig chopper that you can buy the ones that um chop all your stuff from the garden i think if we had one of those we could probably process that, that chum uh, quite well i'm not sure about cleaning it afterwards but uh <laughs> cross that bridge we can come to it but yeah we had a lot of heads and frames so graham had frozen them all down in, in a big bucket and uh on the way out to that drift we dropped it down in st Catherine's deeps right in the uh eastern edge of it in the deep water where it's suspended about maybe 10 feet off the bottom and then maybe about another 10, 15 feet under the surface, we had a, a smaller tub attached with a grapnel anchor and we used a, a buoy. And there was plenty of rope there. The tide the next day was dropping, so we were pretty sure. We'd already um, made sure the anchor was bitting nicely. The idea of that boat, by the way, was the following day we were intending to go there, anchor up and put some big baits down just to see what might come up from that deeps because I'm not sure if anyone's tried this technique before there. There's some very deep water there. Fast-flowing very interesting ground. If you don't try, you don't know. So uh, we had an idea to anchor up there the following day and um, fish some big baits on the bottom. Last year, a small six-skill shark was actually caught by the NAB Tower. I believe it was about £27. Now, I don't know how big a six-skill is when it's born. I'm not sure if anyone knows. But I do know they get to £1,500 as adults. So I'm thinking, possibly, that fish you know, may not have been that old. So potentially, was it born locally well who knows we had full intentions to try and the unfortunate thing is we got there and uh, it had gone <laughs> now you can say to yourself two things probably the most likely is that someone's gone past and thought they'll pull that up and have a look what's on it i'm afraid that is part and parcel of putting stuff out at sea if you really don't want to get it nicked don't leave it out there <laughs> it's a sad state of affairs but i made a lobster pot once left it out overnight just the once that was gone. <laughs> Came back next day. <laughs> Ta-da. So, yeah, I mean, potentially somebody could have taken it, but who knows, could something have come along and been chomping away at that and bitten through the rope? We'll never know now, but it's something we've a mind for trying in the future. So with this incredible run of form you're both having, would it not make sense to try another run down to Falmouth, specifically targeting makos, which incidentally have been caught again in both UK and Irish waters this summer for the first time since 1971? I for one certainly wouldn't bet against yourself and Graham getting a result there, or even in the future with a big six kill. 
Now that really would bring a sour taste to the mouth of those individual internet forum slaggers, for whom it seems the keyboard is mightier than the rod. Yeah, I do fancy my chances actually, I really do. And why not? Why not? The problem is, it's time, it's money, it's the weather. But yeah, I mean, fantastic, fair play to those fellas for catching that Mako. The skipper in question puts a lot of work in, and the angler himself, you know, I thought he should have got a lot more credit for it, um, to have caught a poor beagle, a blue, and a mako in the same day. I mean, what, I mean, fabulous. Fair play to that man. We were down there, as I say, for the blues. Of course, in your back of your mind, you're thinking, potentially, what else could take your bait? If I had the money, I'd be down there on every opportunity, I can assure you that. I really would. I feel the fact that there was a mako caught in Ireland as well, they're there. I never had any doubts that they were there. I mean, you know, in the heyday of, of Mako shark fishing, you had 10, 15 moats a day, huge chum slicks. So there was a good chance if there that many baits in the water that someone's going to hook up. Well, there seems to be more people doing it this last year than I've ever um, known before, trying to go out and capture sharks. So, yeah, I mean, someone could be that lucky person that hooks into one from their own boat. I'd like to think that maybe it could be me. Well, as I've said, you wouldn't bet against it. On the other hand, if you never caught another big UK shark again in your life, you'd still be streets ahead of most of the other people, because you went out and did it completely under your own steam, and from a small trail boat. My thanks then to Wayne Comben for reliving those experiences with us here. 